Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Igberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Actually, today is a show that I don't have a whole lot of. I don't have an interview. I don't have a whole lot of videos. I think I got three. But I want to talk about the economy. So I have some words for you. And I'd like also to get your input. So therefore, uh, the telephone lines are going to be open if anybody wants to call in. And how do we get there? Uh, you can call directly by phone or by Zoom. Uh, here we go. The Zoom call, uh, that, that's a link for the Zoom there, as well as a telephone number, 346-248-7799, code 254-600-9091. If anybody wants to call, you get tired of hearing me talk, 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 you can say, hey, I want to say my piece as well. So we have you all connected, I think. We haven't done it in a while. Anyhow, we're going to have a good show for you today. What is the show going to be about today? Well, you know what? Uh, Michael Rudnin has some interesting information up front. Let's start there because that is also going to talk about the economic system that we really need to talk about. He says, Stimulus bill is meant to be for the people and for small businesses, not for mega corporation, but it's the mega corporation that owned the Republican Party, as well as most of the Democratic Party. So we have this corruption to contend with. COVID stimulus bill held hostage by McConnell over corporate get-out-of-jail-free card, even as Americans go hungry and confront homelessness. Senate Republicans are trying to leverage a coronavirus emergency to greenlight corporate abuse. And that is something we're going to talk about today. Notice I said stop economic shock. Well, that's the title of the show. Let me read his second item. I'd say about time, but this is month a month but this is months late. We are the only major nation that hasn't provided monthly relief checks during a pandemic. Goes to show how neoliberals are out of touch with the needs of the people. Neoliberal love for austerity is a common refrain. Congressional leadership leaders and stimulus checks to $900 billion relief package as their near deal. New as as at a near deal. New direct payments will likely be included, but leaders are scrapping aids to states and cities as well as liability protections for companies as they try to finish negotiations. Well, you know, the money that they're sending out is to create a catastrophe where the pitchforks actually come out. Because when people are starving and they have nothing to lose, guess what? They have nothing to lose. They have nothing to lose. And we're going to learn about that today, folks. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about that deeply, deeply, deeply. But anyhow, title of the show today. Thank you for that, uh, Michael Rudnin. Title of the show today, and let me get that on screen, is Stop Economic Shock Like COVID from Taking Away Your Business, Your Wealth. That is what these things do. They take away your wealth and the businesses from the small folks. And it has a lot to do with Michael Rudnin's first comment. But I'm going to expand on that a bit as we cover things. But you know, I always go through our videos first. Our sham of of an economic system along with a corrupt government leadership must be stopped before they take our businesses and wealth. We have to be... Look, you know, one of the reasons the politicians can get away with the things they get away with is they know that we don't know much about economics. They understand that we believe everything they have told us about the economy. They, they know that we are just going to listen to them because they're 
they're an MBA from Wharton School of Business or something like that. And I have something to tell all of you. That person that went to Wharton Business School knows no more than you do. What he does know, or she does know, who graduated out of those schools, is that indoctrination of what our economic system looks like. I really want you to codify that in your head. This is important. Because what people use against us is the belief that because we don't know things in the fashion that they have described it, that somehow their level of intellect is greater than ours. I'm here to tell you. You are just as smart. You know just as much as that person who goes to Wharton Business School, Princeton, or Harvard, any one of these guys. When I was at NASA, I never forgot this, you know. I was of the belief, I went to the University of Texas. It's the largest public school in the state of Texas. Now, I got my engineering degree from the University of Texas. And I worked in oil companies and did all of that for a very long time. Well, not a long time. I only worked for industry for five years. But for me, it was a long time because I never stayed anywhere more than a year except for the first job. But I remember going to NASA to work. And when uh, the, 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 the first company I worked at at NASA was the one called PRC, Plan Research Corporation. We were developing the software for the space station, the software that was going to control the software on the space station. And I remember having been there that I heard of these guys that came from Harvard, and I think there was one from Princeton. I don't remember which one. These are all engineers, right? And my initial thing, because of everything we hear about Princeton and everything we hear about uh, Harvard, was that immediate, you know, I've always been tough-headed, right? But there was that thing that you had to show your best because you're in, in the midst of these guys from Harvard and Princeton, etc. So I remember trying to put out my best. And I remember going to one particular meeting. And this meeting had to do with a protocol that we were using. And it's still used today, the communication protocol between computers called TCPIP. And when I went to that meeting representing my company, and others represented others, and these high-powered guys from these other places, these other great universities, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to up my game. So, when we started learning about Wulongong TCPIP, I went to the bookstore that weekend. And I spent all weekend studying what TCPIP was, how it was connected, how all these things were done. And then I was ready for my Monday's meeting. But I prepared. I really, really prepared because I was... You know, I felt, oh, I'm going to be in this thing with all these high-powered guys. And after going to the, to the um, meeting, I realized that the only person who understood the entire concept of TCPIP and how to multi-thread multi these computers and make sure all these computers spoke to each other was the person who did the homework. It's not that I knew anything more than these guys. It's that I was prepared. But I was prepared because I was intimidated by these guys. And that was the first inkling. I was very young then. That was the first inkling. That was before the space station got flew. I mean, we were working on the, all these pieces on the space station. 
That was the first inkling that I got a shock to realize it's not about where you go to school. It's not about all these issues. It's all about what you are willing to learn and what are the work that you're willing to put in. And deep down, you know that stuff, right? But when it faces you, when you have it in your face, that's when it happens, right? And it's funny because at that point when it turned out that I was the only one in that big room with 12 people or so, I don't remember exactly how many, that knew all these concepts and all of that, two of the other companies that were working together behind the scenes then made offers. Hey, are you willing to come jump ship and come and work with us and lead this project? Or two of them. And But the idea, what, I was really, what I'm really trying to show here is and this is, you know, I, I was on a book club meeting. Uh, my wife has a book club, and they were, they, they were, they used my book as as their December book, their November book, which they were discussing in December. And one of the ladies came on, and she said, "I really want to talk about these issues with people, but I really don't know much." And the first thing I said is, "Well, look, I tell a lot of stories in the book, and I." I show a whole lot of things about the, econom the economic system and all these other things in the book. But here is the reality. In everyday conversations that you have on Facebook, that you have at the grocery store, that you have at the coffee shop, that you have in all these places, you don't need to know anything more than life. You don't have to know anything more than what you go through with your life. And just what you go through with your life is enough to know about what economic problems you have and how better to solve those economic problems if you were in charge. And you will find out quickly that it's not hard at all for you to look at a politician and say, this is what I want. Make it happen. It is your job to make it happen. And when, when you start acknowledging those pieces that you are really in command, that really uh, you don't have to have a Harvard degree, you don't have to have an MBA, you don't have to have an economics degree. Uh, let, here's what, I studied economics as well. And what's good about having studied economics is you can know that what you, you can know the reason the bull that you always knew was bull is bull. Because you know the mechanics of the system you're working under. So what am I saying? Most Americans know this system is unfair to most. They all know that. Most Americans don't know why it is unfair. They believe things like, well, we have to use austerity because the budget is out of control. The, the deficit is out of control. And you sit down and you believe that. They tell you, just like you balance your checkbook at the end of every day, we need to balance our checkbook as a government. They believe that just because it sounds right based on their own reality. They also believe things like when you say, uh, I want to run the government like I run my business or like, I, like a business is run. That is the most asinine statement there is. A, a government is not a business. You don't run them the same. You don't want to run your government like you run your business at all. You don't want to run your, uh, you don't want to have a balanced checkbook in government like you have a balanced checkbook at home. You know, there are these concepts that they tell you you accept because at that point you don't 
haven't had, let's say, the study of, let's say, economics 101 or microeconomics or any one of those things, right? But you know deep inside that it's not true. Deep inside, most people know that there's something wrong. And most people also know, how can, how can all these people continue to make so much money if things are so hard? You actually know there is something wrong there. There is something wrong there. So what, I, what the show is going to be about today is to discuss some of those particular issues. But before we get that, it is time for video time. The first video is kind of funny. The first video is kind of funny. You know, as it turns out, Donald Trump has been having these killer parties, right? They've been having these super spreader parties and they've had their, their sycophants and enablers going to these parties and having fun. And they don't want people to wear masks, so it's not cool if you're at one of Trump's parties or one of Trump's minions' parties and you're wearing a mask. So most people go without masks. Well, you know what? It's finally caught up with them because check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Lo tomaremos en el otro lado. Remember the U.S. State Department holiday party with 900 people on the guest list? Indoor party, 900 guests inside, all in one room at the State Department. That party is tonight. And the good news is it was apparently a gigantic failure. Um, I mean, good news in the COVID sense is what I mean. The Washington Post reporting in the last few minutes, quote, only a tiny fraction of the more than 900 invited guests actually showed up. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was due to give a speech at the event. He canceled and got somebody else to do it. That is perhaps because out of the 900 invited guests, only 70 RSVP'd yes. As of yesterday, even fewer than that actually turned up. And one nod to at least, Santa reportedly had a mask on at the event. You can see him there. But they invited 900 people for an indoor event, and everybody they invited was like, are you kidding? If you want to do something nice for the holidays, that's not it. Best party fail ever. All right. Entonces, okay, Tank28, you wanted to know where my mask was? Here is the mask. And by the way, folks, this is a politics done right mask. You see? We, 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 talk, we talk the talk, and we go through and do what we say we will. But anyway... So that you can understand me, I will take the mask off because this one is close to the face. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. And by the way, if you want that politics on right mask that says, I support independent media with our logo on it, just go either to, uh, to our YouTube channel and you can order it right there or just go to our Teesprings, get it right there. But anyhow, thank you for saying it's a nice mask. Here's the, here's the deal, right? Even the Republicans are getting smart about going to the killer parties from Donald Trump. Out of 900 people invited, 70 of them RSVP'd and less than 70 actually went to the party. And you know what happened? Pompeo said, whoops, that's not enough people for me to talk to. Let somebody else talk. The funny thing about it is it doesn't matter how many people had come to a party of mine. If, if they're coming to my party, if one person shows up and I had a speech to give to one or a hundred or two hundred, I'm going out there. I am going to do the right thing. The person who gave me the honor of coming is going to get what I promised them. That's how it works. That is how it works. 
anyhow, the other video that I want to show you is um, one where uh, Donald, Tr uh, uh, a Kansas mayor who support masking, wearing your mask, wear your mask. She finally quit, but she didn't only quit her city as mayor, but she quit the Republican Party, and she's going to explain exactly why. Now, last month in Dodge City, Kansas, Mayor Joyce Warshaw and four commissioners passed a mask mandate. Recently, she was quoted in a USA Today article saying, we just felt like we had to do something, so everybody was aware of how important it was for everybody else to be responsible for each other's health and well-being. Now, after the threats increased, Warshaw resigned as mayor yesterday morning, effective immediately. When did you uh, start receiving them? How intense did they get? And when did you know it was time to resign? Um, actually, I started receiving uh, some threatening type emails and communications starting the first part of November. And then after we passed the mask mandate on November 16th, they became a little bit worse. But the USA Today did an article last week, the end of last week, and that's when they got very um, threatening. Just very threatening, their verbiage. I think maybe a lot of politicians may be looking at this and say, you know, it's par for the course that you get these types of uh, threats or this type of language. Was there something specific that actually made you feel that your life was in danger? Was there a specific type of threat? Did you share that with law enforcement or have they taken any measures to address your concerns? Yes, um, I sent the emails to the city manager and he turned them over to the chief of police and they are checking into uh, where they came from basically because I didn't recognize the name. Um, they contained verbiage that is in my eyes, just very inappropriate and, and very threatening words such as we're coming for you, murder, you'll burn in hell. And I just got to the point where I thought and my family particularly said enough's enough. I know they're only words, but who's to say they wouldn't follow up with actions. And to your point, Dodge City Police, we should note, are saying we are looking into the substance of the communication to determine an appropriate course of action. How hard of a decision was this for you about making a mask mandate? Do you have any reservations or regrets about uh, that decision? You know, I have no regrets about my vote to support a mask mandate. And simply because I followed the advice of medical professionals in our community and across the nation. I followed science and everything indicated that if we were going to get numbers down and get control of this pandemic, we had to do what we could do, and that included a mask for so, everyone. So. Yeah, let's talk about the reluctance in this country for people to wear a mask, because when the commission voted on that mandate, more than one out of every 10 people in the county had the virus. Why do you think, from your place of, you know, your, your viewpoint, your vantage point, why do you think people are so resistant to wearing masks? Why have people made this such a political issue in this country, you think? You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I am a believer that it has become a political issue when it really is a health issue. It's a science issue. And, and our country has allowed it to become a political issue. And uh, I think, you know, some of the things that we're seeing nationwide and from some of our top leaders as far as bullying and being aggressive, that, um, you know, people are are thinking it's okay to uh, address things in a very um, 
ir- irresponsible, inappropriate fashion. I know that you say that leaders in this country, but, but just to be specific for a moment, if I can, you're a Republican mayor. You were a Republican mayor. Do you think that your party, the Republican Party, from its leader on down, downwards, shares that responsibility, that they are the ones, a lot of the key Republican figures in this country who have not supported mask mandates are the ones creating this political problem? You know, I, it, it's hard for me to say this. And since I have relocated now out of Dodge City, I have changed my affiliation and I'm non-affiliated mm-hmm. now. And simply because the Republican Party isn't the Republican Party that I know. So much of it has turned volatile and so um, almost mean-spirited and, and really not um, taking care of the nation as a whole. I feel it is doing damage to our democracy and to our country. Well, that mayor decided she had to leave the party. She had to resign from her leadership position in Kansas. Now, that is, that is shameful that doing the right thing, uh, she pretty much felt run out of office. But you know what? Uh, that's not the only thing. The thing about it is many others that have decided to leave the fascist party. And we have to check this out because this brother here, I tell you, he has, he has my heart. This brother here has really done it right. And then after this, we'll go back to answering the, 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 the comments, etc., etc., etc. Check this out. You know, Steve Smith didn't have to do this to garner the respect of a whole lot of Democrats, left-wing Democrats like myself, um, because I think he showed himself to be very honorable as he decided to make that switch that he couldn't take a party that was anti-democratic, that was fascist, that was autocratic anymore. But I tell you what, this took courage. I tell you what, this earns even more respect, not that he needed to do it, but it earned quite a bit of respect from yours truly. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. And Steve, uh, welcome to the side that is not independent uh, anymore. You could have stayed in the independent status. What made you take that step from independent over to registered Democrat? Look, I've I've always held this view that the Republican and the Democratic parties are two of the most important institutions, not just in American history, but in world history for the advancement of human freedom and dignity. And each party has produced the essential leader uh, at America's greatest moments of crisis. In the 19th century, that leader was Abraham Lincoln, a Republican. In the 20th century, it was a Democrat. It was Franklin Roosevelt who saved capitalism, saved democracy, and ultimately, through his wisdom, uh, the world. Uh, in the fight against Nazism and Japanese militarism. I look at the Republican Party and what I see is something that approximates what happened to the Whig Party, though we won't see it play out overnight. In 1856, when the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed, allowing slavery to spread westward, it broke the Whig Party. It broke it geographically, politically, but most important, morally. And what we saw this past week with 126 members of Congress signing that amicus brief, 18 attorney generals, it's important to understand what we saw. That wasn't a legal act. It was a junk lawsuit. It was like something out of a Seinfeld episode that would have been filed in court by Jackie Childs, right? What it it was was a political statement. It was a declaration. And it was a declaration of repudiation 
against the core tenet of American democracy, which is in this land, the people are sovereign and that we pick our leaders. It's also important to understand what we watched in Washington, D.C. on Saturday night. We saw right-wing extremist political violence. We saw fascistic violence in the streets of the nation's capital. Um, we've seen violence in our cities before. We've seen it this summer. We've seen riots where cities have been burned to the ground. But the cause of that rage which does that, as Martin Luther King observed, is from the fury of people who feel that they have nothing, taking it out on people that they feel like have something. That's not what this is. This is political violence incited by the, by the president of the United States. And what, what I believe is, to the core of my being, for the rest of my life, we're in a fight now between an autocratic sensibility that's taken root in this country in four short years. And the leaders of the country are gonna matter. And it's gonna matter what party they come out of. The Republican Party, a majority of them voted for this autocratic moment. 90 of them that didn't, but, you know, look, they're in a coalition of conservatives and autocrats, and that's bad for America. The party that's going to defend American liberties, the Democratic Party, and that's why I joined it. I'm a single-issue voter now. I believe in American democracy, full stop, and that's what's going to be on the ballot in every presidential election going forward, and our side can't afford to lose an election because it may be the last one. You know that man gets it. And both those of us on the left, those of us in the middle, those of us in the center have to understand the battle that we're up against now. He gets it. He gets it. You may not agree with a lot of his policies, but he gets it and he has joined the appropriate side to make sure that we actually get stuff done. Let's welcome the brother into the party the way we should. Absolutely. So we got to welcome him into the party. Um, Bridge, is he, is he want, does he want to have influence on AOC? Yes. Does he want to have influence on the Democratic Party? Yes. As a Democrat, uh, as a registered Democrat now, he has the right to do so. And those of us who want uh, to be more progressive also have the right to, uh, to try to win that battle, to move that thing over. I also believe him when he says he's single issue, meaning he realizes that there's only one party in America at this point in time. Well, one major, one of the two major parties in this country right now that actually wants a true democracy. And I, I will differ with him a bit there. There's a section of our party, the Democratic Party, that wants a true democracy. There's not much difference between the neoliberal portion of the, the Democratic Party and the neoliberal portion of the Republican Party, other than one has a little bit more heart than the other. That's the, the real difference there. Okay, now let's go ahead and uh, do. Uh, let me do my, my little ask here first, and then I'll go ahead and start talking to all of you with what you have on the screen, and then I'll talk a little little bit about uh, the economic system and, and what, I, what, what it is that I think we really have to watch out for. So firstly, if you are on YouTube, please go ahead and click the join button and become a, a, a help us out here by clicking that join button on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Or you can hit the dollar sign on the um, YouTube uh, channel and, and help us out if you are so inclined to do so. Alternatively, those of you who are on other platforms, uh, Periscope, Twitch, and Facebook Live, 
uh, you can go ahead and still join our PDR Posse, as stated by Bridge MCP. PDR Posse, you can get to our PDR Posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. That is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, you can support us on Patreon by going to politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon is spelled P. A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsandright.com slash patron. And of course, we support PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. That is politicsandright.com slash PayPal. So however you can support, provide support for this program that we do uh, generously every day, plus all the blogs that we write, plus all the articles we put in different papers, etc., Please support the endeavor that we have here to move the progressive message forward. I'm going to give a little 30-second speech as to why we do this in a minute. But please consider getting our book as well called uh, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Please give us. Uh, please consider getting that book. That link that you see there uh, on Amazon link, you can get it there as well as all our other books. But if you want to cut out the middleman, you can go ahead and go to politicsunright.com slash store, politicsunright.com slash store. Hey, uh, Curtis Jacobs, my brother-in-law, thank you so kindly for being here. I am glad that you're out of the woods now, that you're COVID-free. Uh, you know, uh, you may want to just write a couple of sentences in the, in the, in the um, thread here to let those who really don't believe that this stuff is serious, how serious this thing can get. Uh, but thank you. I'm, I'm very happy that you're doing uh, much better, brother-in-law. I'm really, really, really happy that uh, that things are turning around. Um, stay strong. You're a strong person, and I'm very, very sure you'll be making a 100% recovery. You come from strong stock, brother. I don't know. You guys can you guys can get over just about everything. Uh, anyhow, folks, um, let's go ahead and let's get to the. Uh, let's go ahead and. Uh, get to the thing here. Um, now, yes, I think, I, of course, he wants to have an influence on the party. He does. And as much as he said he's going to be a single issue uh, person now with the Republican Party, I mean, with the Democratic Party, of course, if you're a Democrat, uh, you want to have some influence because you also have the values that you believe in. And then wherever there needs to be compromise, there's compromise, etc., etc. Uh, Michael Rodney, uh, uh, Paul Fleming says, what I like about Steve is that he seems honest. That means he's reachable in seeing the needs of the people that will keep uh, making our nation great. Absolutely so. Look, not because you believe in low taxes, uh, you can believe in low taxes and still be a, a good patriot, somebody who cares about people, who just believes that uh, low taxes are the best way to go. I think I have proven uh, in many instances that low taxes in a capitalist society is a horrendous thing because what it does is if you, t if you study capitalism and you study how money expands, you cannot have uh, a money expanding for a select few at a much higher rate than the masses and somehow not support redistribution. The math is absolute. I don't think anybody sat down with our brother uh, Steve and sat down and did those numbers with him because, again, he's a politico. He's not somebody that goes into the sciences, etc. I would love to have a long conversation with him on issues like that because it would make a lot more sense to people when they actually see the numbers on how these things work. Uh, democracy requires an end to big money corruption over politics, gerrymandering, voter suppression, and black box. That's what we talk about at coffeepartyusa.com. Uh, we do a lot of that is talking about 
we want to get money out of policies. Egberto, you are correct that only a portion of the Democratic Party, as well as independent, want those things as priority. That's true. You're, you're right, sir. You're absolutely right. Daniel Ledo says, well, first, uh, Breach says, haven't been Republicans in years, Daniel. Also, you're a Republican, Breach. A lot of folks that, that I've, I've known been Republicans and just quit the party. Uh, Rideau says, okay, but Schmidt was already on the list. Nobody has believed he is a Republican for more than four years. Actually, yes, they did. In fact, most people, in fact, most of these guys came out and said they are, they have no home because it's not that they've left the Republican Party. It's that the Republican Party has left them. What we have is not a Republican Party. We have an autocratic fascist party. Uh, you just have to look at what go, what went on. The fact that you go out there and try to overturn the election, that you try to negate the votes of millions of Americans, the fact that you have lost an election by 7 million votes and you still want to somehow win it, that's a fascistic autocratic party, one that does not believe in one person, one vote. And yes, the Constitution is an aberration when it comes to the Electoral College, but even so, we have work, works, workarounds for that, and even that they don't want to handle. The, 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 elect, the what is it called? The, the compact, the Electoral Compact or something like that, where a whole bunch of states that add up to 270 votes says whoever wins the total election, we win, we win, we win, if we win the popular votes. Okay. And that is constitutional because the constitutional doesn't say that uh, how, how the people should allocate their votes in every state. All right, let me go up there and see. Daniel Ledo, I think I got you already, Brother Ledo. Uh, single issue voter, let's see. Uh, who else has something that I need to cover here? Um, let's see, Paul. Norman says, she will not say the Republican leadership has done this. I'm an independent, is not party affiliation. Right. Look. Republic, there's a thing within the Republican orthodoxy, within the Republican psyche, that's very hard for them to simply say Republicans have been wrong. And I think a lot of the reasons why, and I, I can only surmise, but I think that is the case because to say that would have, would have to admit how wrong you have been all these times for so long. Paul Fleming says, "I've had um, my poker friends who laughed me for laughed at me for wearing a mask in late January. Call me to say they're sorry that they caught COVID, and some gave it to their families. Thank God they all survived. Exactly, exactly, exactly." Norman says, uh, "Curtis, glad to hear, man. Stay strong, brother. Absolutely so. He's making a good recovery. Let's see. Uh, coming back. Uh, let me go back up. Uh, Rudnan says." Uh, uh, catching coronavirus, then giving it to family, that's what worries me all the time. It's why I'm so vigilant about distancing masks, washing hands, etc. Oh, yes, you got to be. You got to be. All right. I think Norman had one other thing. Balance the budget only in the states and cities, but the federal budget does not need to be balanced ever. And, that is, and that's what people doesn't understand. If you have a sovereign currency, you never have to balance your budget. You make your sovereign currency what you need to keep your economy singing. Uh, there is Kelton. Uh, Stephanie Kelton is, uh, is the economist. I think people need to start looking up. Uh, let me give, give you her correct name. I, I want you guys to follow this woman, uh, Kelton, Stephanie Kelton. I'm going to put her information in there. This is the economist 
everybody who believes in humanity should be following. Uh, there is her information. Uh, she, would, she would point out to you that we don't have an issue with money supply at this point in our economy. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about trickle-down over the last 50 years. Because uh, the reason I, I said I didn't have anything laid out specifically, and by the way, if anybody wants to call in, I'm going to put the information back in the thread one more time. Uh, let's see. Let's put the information back in the thread. If somebody wants to call in and say something, there is how you get to us. Um, okay. Oh, I didn't want to move that. I didn't want to move that. I wanted to move just that article. Okay. So that you guys can see it as well. All right. The article says, study 50 years of tax cuts for rich confirms trickle-down theory is an absolute sham. And Again, remember I told all of you in the beginning that it's not necessary for you to know the details of economic, economics, economic policies, or whatever. As a human being living in America or any other country, you know what works for you. You know whether you're doing well or not. You know when something is actually wrong. Uh, from somebody who studied economics... I always knew that trickle-down economics made no sense. Because if you learn economics, I'm going to use a phrase here, and it's the only technical phrase I'm going to use, and then I'm going to explain it, and from then on, you're going to understand that particular phrase. There's, something, there's a concept known as the marginal propensity to consume. And the marginal propensity to consume, all it really means in those, those kinds of words is that the least money you have, the more of what you then get, you will spend. So, if you have $100 million in the bank and you get a tax cut, is that going to change how much you spend in restaurants, how much you spend on your boat, how much you spend in all these things? No, it won't. Your life, you, the amount of money you, that you're going to use as for consumption remains absolutely the same because you never had a scarcity, a deficit in the amount of money that you could spend. You could spend as much as you want for whatever you need because you have so much more than you need. But if you gave that same tax cut to people who are very, very poor, who don't have any money, who don't have entertainment uh, disposable income, they will immediately throw that into the economy. So here's what I'm saying. If I give a trillion dollars to rich people, to the 500 richest people, the 500 richest people gets a trillion dollars. Will that money circulate in the economy at any particular rate greater than how much they're spending right now? Hell no. Because there are two things. Let's say you said, oh, well, they're going to invest that money that you gave them uh, into something that makes more money and that's going to trickle down. You have to ask yourself the question. You give them the trillion dollars and they have to invest that money supposedly to do better for us all. The only reason for them to invest that money is if we have the buying power, those of us at the bottom, to buy more to simply allow them to invest to create more product that we are going to buy. So giving them the money does not create the incentive for the lower classes, 
people who make less money, to want to buy things that creates the necessity for them to spend that into investments to make more things for us. So what they normally turn out doing with that is simply making themselves richer. So you give them a tax cut, what they do is they say, wait a minute, you give me a tax cut, I own a lot of stocks, if I simply buy back a whole lot of stocks with that extra money, the stock value goes up, I have created absolutely nothing, and I am a whole lot richer. And those people at the bottom, you know what they get? Zilch. Zero. It's math. It's not even complicated science. It's not complicated math. It's basic math. So we always knew that. So when you see reports like this that come out and say, oh, trickle down doesn't work. A lot of times I would say, what took you so long? You could have said, as soon as Reagan said trickle down economics, you know what George H. Walker Bush said? Voodoo economics. Remember that. Trickle-down economics by another Republican called George Herbert Walker Bush was immediately called voodoo economics until it became the rule of thumb for the Republican Party. And I cover that in my book called As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom. In the table of contents, I have this stuff called Capitalism is Not Working for Most, but the the part that was of most important was uh, the part where I talked about uh, the presidents. And in there, in this part with the... Oh, let me put a book where I can see. In the part where I talk about presidents, the table of contents said the following. The presidents. Voodoo economics, genesis of our demise. That was the title of that one. The second title was voodoo economics reverse. That is when, uh, that is when Bush 1 came into power. The return of fiscal responsibility. When Clinton came into power... Fiscal insanity revisited and expanded. When Bush number two came into power, the return of sanity. When Obama came into power. Those were those four chapters, in those four sub-chapters under presidents that I uh, put those issues. Let's see. Uh, Breach says, Egberto, Willie, my mother and father always said, if you get a raise at work, keep living like you didn't get it. After a few more raises, you can acknowledge the first one. Your mother is very, very smart. She's very, very smart. Paul Fleming says, this is why it makes no sense why uh, they don't help people who are struggling to live. The money will instantly go back into the economy. You know, that is too simple, Brother Fleming. Let me explain why that is the case. Why they don't care or why they do that. People used to hate when I called capitalism antiseptic slavery. I'm not a slave. Somebody making six figures is not a slave. And that person making $20 an hour is not a slave. And, you know, they'll tell you all of that, right? Come on, the slavery days is when you had the whip. And they force you to work and all that kind of stuff. Now I'll say, yeah, but that, that was nasty. They're slicing your body up, you're bleeding and all that kind of stuff. And they're whipping you, but they can't whip you too badly because you're property. And capitalism puts more importance on property than it does on humanity by definition capitalism protects property better than it protects humanity why because if i hurt my property my property can eventually disappear and i get poorer if a human being dies oh so long you're gone bye if you doubt it remember this a slave for all practical purposes had to have clothes health care food, 
all of that had to be provided for by the master. The master had all those expenses. Okay? He had all those expenses to pay. Capitalism, antiseptic slavery, how does it work? By the way, slavery was just a subset of capitalism, right? It was one of the, one of the factions within capitalism. It's a faction that's no longer needed. So what we said is, you know what? No, let's just have employees and wages. And when uh, the economy is doing very, very well, we just go ahead and have them hired. When the economy is not doing very well, we get to, rid, we get to hell rid of them. We don't have to pay their insurance, no health care, no food costs, no clothing costs, none of that for an employee. But for a slave, whether my farm is doing well or not, whether my factory is doing well or not, I got to keep investing in my property. It's the maintenance cost of my property. So that human being as capital is a maintenance cost. Our current form of capitalism is a lot better, antiseptic. I don't need you anymore. Ta-ta. Goodbye. Now, government tried to civilize capitalism some by putting in regulations. And what do Republicans call? Oh, regulations, it's bad. No, it's a civilization of capitalism. They don't want to tell you that, right? Because they don't want you to see clearly. They do not want you to see clearly. They want to say, oh, we got to do all of this because people are inherently lazy. Have you seen the freeways going to work every day? Americans are not lazy. Americans are hard workers. And anytime they show somebody, show somebody lazy, they put somebody on the ground and they just show you a picture and they enumerate that picture and they show a surfer boy or a black, a black man with his pants hanging or a Latino just sitting down on the, on the backside drinking. And that is the impression that they want to give you of if we don't do things the way we do them, then somehow, somehow, the economic system falls apart. When what's creating the fall apart of the economic system is the form is a, a kind of, is a current economic system we have. Let me give you an example as far as how they use every every disaster to profit, not only to profit but to take away market share. And how could we have solved it if we knew enough personally? We would not allow McConnell. And the, and the Republicans and others to get away with saying, ah, oh, we're just going to give you guys a little bit of money as a stipend to hold you over, and we're going to give companies a little PPP to hold you over. We would have said, that's not what we want. That's not what we need. What we need is a stop. In other words, let me give an example. Who's doing great right now? Amazon. All the big box stores like Sam's and Walmart, they're all doing fine. Why are they doing fine? And why are they doing better than they were before the pandemic, even as people are spending less? Here's the reason why. All the little mom and pop stores have to close. They cannot afford to be open. You can't have the restaurants open. You can't have all these things open because, again, they cannot make money if they're not 6 to 7 to 80% filled up. And in a pandemic, we can't have that. But the companies that own all these kinds of stores that can deliver or have these that run the, the uh, Uber, Uber Eats, and, uh, and all these guys, they're the ones cleaning up because as we have to deliver more food, 
Uber Eats and all these guys make a lot of money. And guess who pays for that? Do you think the restaurants make a big profit when they ship by Uber Eats? Hell no, they don't. So other people are profiting from this pandemic, just not the people who need to profit. If we really wanted to solve our problem, even during this pandemic, and not allow a shift of business to the top, which is what will occur. Everybody who has learned to shop at Amazon will continue shopping at Amazon because a lot of the other stores that they would have otherwise shopped at are closing. Go to any strip mall and you see how many things are going to be closed permanently. What we should have done as a country, if the country for the benefit of the country is saying close, you should close. But you should close and then look at that person's last year's income, several years' income. Normalize that and pay that person to stay closed so that whenever they come back, they will come back at level where they stopped. That would have been the honest thing. You ask them to stop working. You ask them to close shop. That is fine. Make sure that their employees continue to get paid. Make sure that the rents continue to be paid. Make sure that you give a simulation of the status quo. Simulate that business is still occurring. So that at the end of the pandemic, they can resume we're at that point that we ask them to stop. People say, but where does the money come from? We create the money. We invent the money. We print the money. We have a sovereign currency. Ask Stephanie Kelton. We create the money for this. Do we get inflation? No. Why not? Because we do not have more money chasing. We do not, we do not have too much money chasing too little goods. You can only have inflation where your money turns into crap if you have a lot of money and not enough production for the money that you need. And these are the concepts. When I say most people don't need to learn all of this, what they can do, however, is understand how this really works. And I wish more people, yeah, and one of the reasons for having our show, right, is uh, for people who don't understand these concepts, they can come and learn these concepts together, but not only learn these concepts, but be able to put it out there. I want people to share these programs and tell people, hey, guess what I just figured out? This is something we could do. This is something we should have been doing. Michael Rudnan says, your idea would have prevented this. 60% of U.S. businesses closed during pandemic have shuttered permanently. Exactly. And by the way, this isn't my idea. This is common knowledge about what other countries are doing. We are just not, we just don't care. And not only that, our businesses don't care because Jeff Bezos understands now that all those small businesses that are closing now, now belongs to him. Understand that. All these big box companies know that as those small companies close, their share of the market goes up. So that when this pandemic is over, a lot of the chain stores, a lot of the chain restaurants, they are going to be 
booming because a lot of the little places that we used to go to will no longer be there and people are going to still eat out. But those places will not be there. How do we get out of this COVID issue, this COVID problem, this COVID morass? We have to let the politicians know that we know the truth. And how do we let them know that we know the truth? Not only by sharing programs like this, but by writing about this on your own wall. Sending these statements to your politician. Let them know that you know it. Let them know that you're going to be publicizing these things. Because if they know that you know, they can no longer pull the wool over your head. Which is what they've been doing for a very, very long time. It's so important that we get this. Um, any questions? Uh, anybody wants to ask any questions before we get out of here? And before I do my little next quick thing to say, hey, guys, get my book. But anyhow, about that part about the economic system, I explain a whole lot of that in this book as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. Like I said, I have the chapters that talk about the economic system where I said, what is wrong with our brand of capitalism? And I talk about financial system, taxation, patent law, military spending, free trade, government, social services, the market, etc. If you really, really want to uh, get those things. I, the combination of those two books, I'm telling you, uh, we put a whole lot into both. It's worth it. The one where you talk to your right-wing relatives, which has some economics in there as well, as well as uh, as I see it. And it is so important. Yes, thank you, Paul, for saying that. You go to mom and pop stores. Like I support my uh, my my shop around the store around the block here as well. Uh, Norman Reynolds said, "Tie in mitts that support your talking points." Tie in myths that support your talking points. Well, help me out with a myth that support my talking point, bro. This was a terrific show. Thank you very much, Paul. I do appreciate that uh, coming from all my, my peeps there. All right, folks, please consider getting my book. Again, the, the, the name of the book is It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing uh, Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And the other book is called As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom. And you can get them all at uh, Amazon. Or you can get them directly at our store. I, I put the Amazon link up there. And you can get it at our store. And at the store link is politicsdoneright.com slash store. politicsdoneright.com slash store. Where you can actually uh, pick that book up. So you can pick up the As I See It. You learn all this. And you know what? When I talk about the economy in these books, it's, it's done in a very simple fashion for all of us to understand. Right? And check out Stephanie Kelton. Look for some of, the, some of the, her um, videos. She's so good at it. And there's also Easter Bunny, uh, 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 Chrisley Bunny. I interviewed her a couple of times on, on uh, MMT and some other, some other uh, terms. Uh, Egberto, there's a long video I hope you watch when you've got an hour. Let's see, HDI extinction. I'll take a look at that, uh, Rondin. I'll take a look at that. And, and, and some other economists to consider. Richard Wolf, you guys have seen him here several times. Maybe one of these times that I'm just simply talked out, I may just go ahead and play him again because he's always worth listening to. And people always tell me whenever I play him, they pick up something new from the conversation we've had. All right, folks, uh, please consider becoming a YouTube uh, subscriber. Just go to uh, join, click that join button, and, and, and join us. Uh, become a part of our PDR Posse, as uh, Bridge MCP always talks about. 
And please consider, if you're not on YouTube, you can still join our YouTube posse by going to politicsonright.com slash YouTube. Norman says, the meritocracy myth and exceptionalism myth make a lie to the trickle-down myth. Exactly. All of that is true. And you know what? In my book, the latest one, uh, it's worth it. I talk about the meritocracy. In a part of it, I talk about meritocracy. Uh, And what I normally say is it's not about meritocracy. It's about being chosen. You have to be the chosen one. There, it, it, I want to give you a quick example before I get out of here. Anybody who goes to a church or goes to somewhere where there's some good singing, you hear great singing at these churches, and a lot of those people that are singing greatly at these churches, they would love to have a record contract. They would love to do that, right? But they don't get a chance to do it because they weren't chosen. But they're just as good as a lot of the singers that you hear with record contracts that are making millions. You know what's the difference between that great singer in your church and that mediocre singer that has a million-dollar contract? They weren't chosen. So what Norman is pointing out is so true. We have, we, we have the semblance of a meritocracy. I'm an engineer. I did very well before I started doing this full-time. And a lot of t- it is easy to go out and think that you're damn good. Until you realize there's a whole lot of people out there that are darn good. Just like you are better than you are. But they didn't get the contract that you got. They didn't get Boeing deciding to use your product. Okay. You were chosen. It's not a meritocracy. Of the options the plutocracy had, you were chosen. If you were the lucky one to be chosen, good for you. But too many times those who have been chosen look down at those who have not as if they have some superior thing over them. Look, I'm not saying there aren't bombs out there. There are a lot of people who are bombs out there. But understand, it's so important to have lo que llamamos en español la humildad, humildad, humility. You've got to have humility and understand that being chosen how out of a bunch who are merit, meritorious is not a meritocracy. If there are whole, if there are hundred of you who are capable, and the plutocracy cho- chooses one, it's not a meritocracy. You were chosen. It's so important to understand that. My name is Egberto Willis. Thank you so kindly for being here. This is politics done right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what. Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.